UX Podcast Episode 192. You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, James Roy Lawson and Per Axbom. We've listeners in 177 countries, from Northern Mariana Islands to South Georgia and the South Sandwich Islands. Wow, now I have to look up where that is. <laughs> well, yeah, I've got a hypothesis. Um, I think the listeners out there have some really exciting holiday destinations. Mm. Yes. Uh, one, of the, the, um, one of those, the Mariana Islands, islands there in the, the, the Pacific, kind of north of Australia and south of Indonesia kind of thing. And, and South Georgia and the South Sandwich Islands, those ones I know, because that's a British territory. Um, and it's just, it's, oh, where wow. you go, it's where you go if you're going to go to the Arctic. Or the oh, An- really? The, okay. Sorry, the Antarctic down there. Oh, yeah. So it's full of penguins. Right. So you suspect listeners have been there during the summer. It's a hypothesis. Yeah. <laughs> Our <laughs> guest today, uh, I think, needs no real introduction. Uh, I mean, she's been around for a while. Uh, I'm reading from her LinkedIn profile now, and it's funny because you never know how often people update their LinkedIn profile. But she has been doing user research and design for 25 years, leading teams of varying sizes for 22 and teaching design and leadership skills for about 19. And uh, Kim Goodwin is her name. And today she's the VP of Product and User Experience at Patients Like Me, where her team helps patients with serious diseases live better today and drive medical research for tomorrow. So after Kim's enlightening talk at UXLX um, this year called The Values Are the Experience, we sat down to talk with her about seeing the organization as your design medium, influencing the people who make the big decisions, the importance of soft skills for designers, what it means to be human-centered versus metric-centered, and the power of self-reflection. So, Kim, yesterday um, in your talk, you said um, uh, a user experience is not made up of content or pixels or CSS. It's made up of hundreds of thousands of decisions. So how do we enable organizations to make the decisions that deliver great UX? I think what we have to do is stop thinking about code or pixels or Photoshop or whatever we use as our design medium. I think we have to think of organizational culture, by which I really mean values, as our design medium. Because we can't possibly make all of those decisions. The lawyers are making decisions. The salespeople are making decisions. The customer support people are making decisions that create user experience. So we need to give them tools and a mindset and a set of principles to help them make good decisions. And we have to influence the people who make the big decisions Mm. to send the right values message by where they invest and where they focus their attention. Because without that, all the pretty pixels in the world will only do you so much good. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, if we, even if we tried to make a lot of these decisions, because I mean, that happens sometimes, we just, we just decide these things, then the people who probably would like to be making decisions, they may get a bit upset that we've kind of encroached on their silo. Sure. I mean, we we certainly shouldn't be making certain decisions and 
Heaven knows I don't want to make decisions about system performance and security and other things I'm not remotely expert in. Mm. And I, but I want other people to consider the human side of those okay. decisions. So uh, we're not going to be expert in everything, mm. and we shouldn't try. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an excellent point. I mean, and something I notice I do, that you, you can be, it's very, very helpful and useful to be aware of, of the, the impact of, of certain aspects. Security, for example. I mean, I, I don't feel I need to know the details of why maybe cross-site scripting is a is a security issue but but being able to kind of maybe see that the question is is raised and and uh, alleviated in a forum that, yeah. that feels like something which which many of us designers um have a have a urge to feel to, to carry out or be responsible for i mean i think we tend to be the folks in the organization who have the most cross silo perspective if you will we tend to have a broad but shallow understanding of a lot of areas because we feel that sense of responsibility. Mm. I think it's good if we can help other teams develop that same kind of broad but shallow understanding mm. so that other people take on that perspective as well. But yeah, I, I do think it's important that we at least be able to have a conversation about these other things. That's why you know, we get into these debates about should designers know how to code yeah. or should they know this or should they know that? Mm. My answer is designers need to know a little about a lot of things. And focusing on any one of those areas, if it's important in your environment, great. But I think it's very hard to make generalizations other than know a little about a lot. Mm. Yeah. But you're essentially saying then that designers should be coaches and facilitators and teachers and helping other people in the organization realize who they're building stuff for or making products for. Uh, but so I go to a design school and I think I'm going to work with digital products and I get out there and I realize, well, I can't do what I want to do. It, nothing happens because of all these other parts of the organization. So is there something missing from how people are educated, I guess, then? Mm, that's a good question. Mm. Uh, let me back up a little bit and say, I try not to be prescriptive and say designers should be this one yeah. way because I don't think there's any one answer to that. Mm. I think there are organizations where a lot of people have a pretty good design perspective and designers can focus on doing design and that works just fine. I think there are other organizations where, honestly, a half-baked design is better than that organization is producing, and working mm. on the values is a lot more important. And you don't necessarily need super technical design skills. You need the people skills more so. Yeah. Um, do I think that the soft skills, I hate the name, are missing <laughs> from design school? Yes, I yeah. do. I yeah. think a lot of people graduate design school with a pretty naive view of the world that design is about their technical chops, mm. and, and it really isn't in a lot of places. But um, as long as you have both, let's call them the technical design skills and the people skills somewhere in the design organization, that's often okay. Not everyone's going to be equally good at everything. Mm. But somewhere that capability uh, and that focus on building the organizational capability has to exist. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's like we're, we're we're humans. We're individuals. We're all we're all unique. We're all unique designers. Right. There's, there's no standard mold that's just producing us. And right. the same thing applies though, to the organizations. Every organization is unique. Right. And and this is why you know when people get on Twitter or up at a conference and this worked for me once in one <laughs> place. Everyone should do it. I just want to pull my hair out <laughs> because there's no such thing. You know, there's no one way to do design. There's no one way to be a design leader. It's all about context. Just like designing interfaces is about context. 
designing the way we design is about context. So I think we need to keep that empathy in mind with each other mm. in our work environments, just as we do in our in our work for users. Mm. So, so as designers, um, how much should we be designing organizations? Uh, we should certainly be designing our own practice for organizations. I don't know if we should necessarily design the whole organization. No, I, um, I don't think so. Either. But <laughs> I think that. You know, as a consultant, when I start to work with an organization, one of the things that I look for is what's their decision-making style, which might be consensus-oriented. It might be very hierarchical. It might be very evidence-based. It might be very not invented here. Um, you know, so I look for which of those kinds of characteristics tend to drive their decision-making, and I adapt my style accordingly, right? If you have a very consensus-oriented organization, you will fail if you don't get people out doing user interviews with you and co-designing with you at the whiteboard. Mm. If you have a very hierarchical organization and you try to do those things, people will look at you like, don't you know how to do your job? You're mm. supposed to do that. Um, so you know, there's no one answer, and, and the way you design the project varies. Likewise, you have to look at what that organization values in, in terms of end, end results and figure out how can I connect my design outcomes to those end results that they value. And, and what you're saying now, Kim, is is that design process we have towards users, towards the end right. users, but we're just we're re-angling it, we're, t we're turning to point to the organization as well and reapplying these exactly. valuable skills that we've developed. Mm. Because, I mean, we see so many times that uh, things fail because we've concentrated on maybe the end user mm -hmm. and completely ignored the fact that a very important character in our in our work and our stories that we're working with mm. is the organization itself and if mm -hmm. then if they're not included and not understood right how can we right. succeed and and i think that you know this is frustrating sometimes as a designer because you think well my colleagues aren't trying to adapt their work style to me so why should i adapt to them <laughs> right and, and it, it can feel very frustrated but you can't control other people's behavior we can control our own behavior mm. and we'll be more successful if we try to design it around other people within reason. I mean, yeah. that doesn't mean we want to adapt so far that we're rolling over and not standing up for what we know to be a, a more effective design practice. Um, so, you know, there's a, a tension there. We want to adapt, but not not yield what we know, wor what we yeah. know works. Mm. Yeah. But where do I start? Because, I, I mean, a lot of designers, I, I think, are recognizing what a big problem it is that mm -hmm. they're not getting heard by their organizations but they just don't know where to start. Uh, do you have like a piece of advice there? Uh, start small. Mm -hmm. I, I think you really have to focus on small victories and think about the people you work most closely with across other disciplines and think about who among those people is influential, who can you win over, who can you make look like a hero, mm. uh, and start turning them into an evangelist. And then you, you work your way out from there. I think one of the challenges that I see a lot of organizations go through is, you know, the CEO reads a book or sees a presentation or something and says, oh, wow, we, ne we need to do this design thing better. You know, back in the day, I had a CEO say to me, I I've seen the light. I have an iPhone now. You remember when that yeah. time period in our industry <laughs> yeah. hit, right? And all of a sudden, he wanted his complex medical treatment devices to have iPhone-like interfaces, mm. to which my response was, please, no, you'll kill people. <laughs> but, um, but his enthusiasm yeah. was there. Yeah. Yeah. And senior leaders tend to think, oh, well, I told people we were going to value design, so why hasn't it happened yet? 
they kind of expect it to be an overnight transformation mm. instead of a, a multi-year process where they have to keep repeating themselves and clearing a lot of barriers. So, you know, designers go into a situation like that and the CEO says, make it so, and they think, well, I'm going to pick the biggest, showiest project in the whole company. And that's just a disaster mm. in the making. You have to pick something that's familiar where design is the only thing you're experimenting with. You know how to build it. You know how to otherwise execute that project. Uh, and, and design is the new variable. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We, yeah, so we, the, the proper scientific method of working, you can't change everything at once, so you have mm. no idea what impact you're mm. having. Right, and, and design as the new thing will get mm. blamed for the failure, even if it's actually technical complexity or you know some other aspect of the business that is the failure. It, mm. It's an easy scapegoat mm. when design is new. It is. It seems like transparency, perhaps, is one of the routes that I tend to think about when I want to walk down this path, like including more, even developers, including them in, in usability ses testing sessions, but videoing those and uh, showing videos of them to managers. That's, that's when people tend to see the light, they understand that we are actually talking to real users and they're having real problems. But when they see that in a usability report, they just don't get it. They, they understand, yeah, you did the report, now can we get, get on and, and release the product? <laughs> yeah, I, I hear this from design researchers mm -hmm. and also from designers who do design, but uh, when people have a research specialty, I see that sometimes they try to hold on to the research and yeah. own the research, and they say, mm -hmm. they'll even say, the design team isn't using my research. Mm -hmm. To which my answer is, you just answered your own question because you called it my research. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it can't be your research. Mm -hmm. You've got to at least involve the design team, even if you're in that hierarchical kind of culture. If you're in a more consensus-oriented mm. culture, you need to involve a lot more people than that in the research and the design yeah. process. Because of what you're saying and what you really started your talk with yesterday, which I loved, was that this is not a design problem. It's it's a human problem. We're not human-centric enough, really. Uh, so we need organizations to understand the people more. So I guess that is our job now, is to better help the all the people within the organization understand the people outside the organization. And and to do that by understanding the people within or exactly. organization exactly. ourselves. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is very circular. <laughs> yeah. 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 As we said, that yeah, we can't control the organization, mm. but we can influence it. Right, right. Yeah, th there's something I learned a, a long time ago, I don't remember where, about being clear about what's the stuff I control, mm. what's the stuff I influence, and what's the stuff I'm worried about but can't do a darn thing about? Mm. And you just have to let go of that outer circle of stuff mm. and focus on the inner circle and, and the middle part and think about, well, what in my behavior is contributing to me being successful in this mm. environment or not? What can I change? Mm. And start there and think about how, uh, how could I be practicing differently? How mm. could I you know, design this experience better for my colleagues, for my clients? Uh, and then you can start to influence from there. Yeah. Yeah, such a waste of energy when you if you if you haven't worked out that 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 part of your world there that you can't influence, you can't do anything out, and you're plow plowing your energy into mm -hmm. trying to do something with it, mm -hmm. and that's that that can be really depressing and frustrating. It so, really so can mapping be. it up and being able to kind of say, okay, we can't do anything mm. about that. Right, mind you, like all of us, I have mm. days when I focus on those, those <laughs> yeah, things too. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> you know, overall, if you focus on what you can do differently, I think that's the biggest mm. lever. And it seems to me the critical aspect of this is that we realize that we're not getting the designs out that we would like. But of course, that has consequences. There's impact. It means that 
a lot of people are actually getting hurt when mm -hmm. we're not able to design the right way. And that, that seems to be happening now is that we're getting so many reports of people getting hurt by design. Mm -hmm. And we say by design, but it's because we couldn't get it out the way we wanted to. So I guess that's an argument in itself as well for helping organizations realize people are actually getting hurt. We're, we're making it worse for them right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think there certainly are products out in the world where teams are trying, but the actual consequences of the design are negative mm. in a lot of ways. I think social media is sort of the big showcase example of that mm. right now. It's mm. undermining a lot of things uh, when none of the teams, of course, intend to do harm. I think it might be a little naive to assume that if only they had listened to the designers, it would be different. Yeah. Because I think there mm. are a lot of design teams that are focusing on the metrics they're being asked to focus on without necessarily questioning that as mm. much as, as maybe we should be. Mm. So, you know, that's why I say we need to remember it's human-centered, not metrics-centered. Mm. Yes, pay attention to metrics, be good at metrics, mm. but help the organization see beyond them as well mm. and question if that's the right metric. Mm. But, yeah, I, I think we do have to help everyone understand that better is better than nothing. Uh, you know, make sure that we're not doing harm and understand which of our battles to fight. I think the the point about metrics is so true that we it's some it's very often we it feels that the metric is the goal. Mm -hmm. And and then you you have a lot of um, upward pressure to to make the metric move and to deliver things that help the metric. Right. And that's that's two at least two degrees away from what we should be focusing on. Yeah. You know, human centered or mm. user centered um, solutions and improving for for for, for that goal. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of organizations measure what's easy to measure instead of what's important to measure. So mm. another thing that we have to get metrics literate about is helping product managers and others pick the right metrics, the metrics that reinforce the values, not just the metrics that are easy to measure. Because sometimes there are things that are qualitatively important that don't move a quantitative metric that we think matters. And, uh, and those are things that we have to find a way to measure. So, for example, uh, what if you have a feature on your site that's about accessibility or inclusion of non-binary genders or some other population that is relatively small? If you're very focused on, well, how many people are using it? Oh, not enough, let's get rid of that feature. Mm -hmm. That's one way of looking at it. But if you look at the fact that you now have people who feel included as part of your site and welcomed and able to be full human beings, mm. it's okay that that doesn't fit in a metric. It needs mm. to be okay that that doesn't fit in a metric because that's more important. So are you gonna go and measure how welcomed and included those mm. people feel? Maybe that's the way to get people to value it, is, is to think about how can we take what matters to us as humans and make it a measurable thing. Mm. If that's persuasive, great, do that. Have you seen anyone do this? Sure, I, I think what you have to do is, it, it's not a thing that's gonna work in Google Analytics or yeah. you know whatever <laughs> sort of automated analytics yeah. you're doing. You have to go measure it in a more qualitative way. You mm. have to go do a survey with people and, and ask about those mm. things. Uh, you, know, you have to say, uh, well, at, for example, one of the researchers at Patients Like Me, which is a longtime client of mine, um, decided to, it, it was time to measure whether the site was in fact helping people feel more in control of their own health care. Mm. Analytics can't tell you that. You actually have to go ask. Yeah. 
Thankfully, the answer was yes. Mm. Um, and, and so that, that tells you that you're doing the right things, you're headed in yeah. the right direction. But you have to consciously measure those things. They're not mm. gonna just get built into the software automatically. Yeah. One thing you touched upon was how this actually starts with the designers themselves and understanding your own value system. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how much of a, uh, of how important is that in, in making a change? taking the time to actually evaluate how you yourself want to design. I, I think we all have to, at, at some point, in order to be, let's say, fully formed as human beings, not just professionally mature, I think mm. we have to figure out what matters to us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at age 22, could I tell you that? Probably not. Um, it probably wouldn't be the same point, the same things as now. I'm, I'm yeah, guessing. and at this point, I feel like I have a pretty good handle on what matters in a workplace, uh, in a design problem that I'm willing to work on or not, mm. uh, in the way that I design. So yeah, I think that self-reflection is important. It's also important within a team because you might have three or four or 30 or 300 designers in an organization and you might assume their values overlap but they don't 100%. You know, for example, um, maybe you are very, very focused on accessibility and maybe I'm very, very focused on cool animations. And maybe there are places where those two things are in tension. I'm sure there are. So which wins? If we as a team have shared values, we know where to draw that line. So one of the exercises that I do with design and product teams is I set up a values conversation. And you know, I basically say, if we have to make a trade-off between X and Y, what should we do? Mm. And I I force people to line up at positions in the room. I basically give them a spectrum and make them stand somewhere physical. You can't not take a position. Yeah. And then we talk about why are you standing here? Why am I standing there? Um, and, and we help each other see one another's point of view. And ideally we come to some agreement mm. about what are we as a team going to prioritize? And that's one way that design teams can start to influence the higher level organization values is by articulating them as design principles. It's kind of a backdoor to start influencing values sometimes. Of course, they're more successful when they're aligned with the organization's higher level values. Yeah. Um, that to me sounds like the answer to where you should start. The team, with values? Yeah, with the values of the team well, and yeah. actually having that discussion. I, I think it's a great place to start, yeah. yeah. I think it ties in what we said as well about about sorting what you can influence and what you can't influence. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. in a, a short-term perspective, I guess influencing your team is something which should be mm -hmm. achievable for most of us. Right. And, you know, I think that it's good to have that discussion with the design discipline. I think it's also good to have that discussion within a product team, right? Because very often we're sort of cross-function, you know, we're matrixed in an organization. And so you might have a product team that you work on and some other designer might have a different product they work on. So. Mm -hmm. It's worth doing that same exercise with, uh, with developers and product managers because, for example, if I ask a developer, you know, are we going to prioritize um, you know, control over the visual design or are we going to prioritize cross-browser compatibility or you know, load time or, or whatever, we're going to have slightly different values about mm. that. And you know, we, ne we need to be able to articulate them. And we're not going to find black and white answers to everything. But as long as we understand mm. why people are coming from that other point of view mm. and where, where we are drawing lines, yeah, I think that's important. Mm. You know, for example, what are the things that we would never do with users? Yeah. What, are the, what are the things that should mm. just be unthinkable in our team? 
that's a good place to mm. start. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like you can draw the draw the line in the sand effectively. This yeah. is what we do across. Mm. Right. Yeah. Mm. Here's what we aspire to. Here's what we will never do. Yeah. Mm. There's a lot of gray area in between those. Mm. And as long as we start to build trust and some conversational tools around mm. it, the gray area gets easier. Mm. Yeah. Now, if I'm a junior designer listening to this right now, and everything is so open, and you can go over here, and everybody can do it differently, and all organizations are different, it's as hard. So who am I as a designer? Who, wh what do you expect of me? <laughs> Existential, that, <laughs> yeah. No, but I'm, yeah. I'm thinking that it must be so hard because we've been talking before about UX designer, even the competencies that go into that. We argue about it the whole time. Now it feels like we're even expanding on that. Now you have to think about the bigger picture in mm -hmm. a way that you've never learned or thought about before. Uh, ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, I hear you. Yeah. I, I think the amount of things that various people tell mm. junior designers they need to master mm. is a little absurd. Um, honestly, I think half mm. of those things are very trainable, and I don't care if people have mastered those. Mm. As long as you're a good communicator and a good listener and a good problem solver, Frankly, the rest you can figure out as you need, as you need to. Um, but I think what we're talking about, you know, values, that's not unique to design. I think that's, I think that's a skill everybody in the professional world needs to have. Anybody mm -hmm. who's trying to build products or, or solve problems, I think you need it in government. I think you need it in customer service. I think you need it in a lot of places. It just so happens to be sort of at the forefront of our field right mm. now because of some of the, the issues that we're seeing out there. You know, I think we're, we're talking about ethics and thinking about ethics in a way that maybe we haven't, whereas, say, in healthcare, yeah, those conversations have been going on for a long, long time. Yeah. yeah. And, and they're newer to us. Exactly. So mm. we're growing up. It's mm. a good thing. I think, I think a part of it's also maybe connected to the, to the way in which we are talking more about uh, working in a scientific with the scientific method and the scientific process, so I think that's maybe given us enlightenment about how the science community works, and I mean, not just medical, but you know, how you would have ethical research in science and um, hypothesis testing mm. and so on. And mm -hmm. that, that over that's lapping onto us. It's kind of washing. It's like waves coming onto the beach, and kind of like we're picking up more of this, mm. yeah. and realizing it's it's useful and, and applicable to what we do. It is, and you know, I I said in my talk yesterday that I've come to see technology as the largest human subject study ever done. Yeah. You know, we're all being experimented on every time we use anything internet connected, mm -hmm. basically, because either it's collecting our data or it's trying to influence our behavior, right? It's either an observational or an interventional study or both. Yeah. And we haven't consented to a lot of what's, what's going on. And you know, you could argue about whether that's maybe uh, an extreme lens, uh, and maybe it is. Maybe I'm trying to make a rhetorical point, but but there's a lot in there about how you treat people and, and how you manage that experience. And, um, you know, I think in design research, you don't necessarily think about, oh, I'm going to go talk to some people. Why is that a big deal? Okay, well, what if they share something confidential about how they feel about their job, and you don't take good care of that information and it gets out? real harm could come to that person. Mm. And, and these kinds of practices, even just in our own informal data collection, need attention. And, and I think we have to think about how might people come to harm when we do just ordinary everyday design research? Mm. Yeah. What about that experience might be uncomfortable or potentially unsafe for them? 
It's a valid question. Yeah, it is. Food for thought. Thank you so much for sitting down with us, Kim. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. In Kim's um, presentation she did at UXLX, um, she posed the, the question, or repeated the question she gets, I guess, gets herself quite a lot. Um, how do I get my organization to value design? Mm. And rather than answer the question directly, she turned it around and goes, no, the, the question should be, how do I get um, my organization to value humans? Right. The point being that it's not all about kind of your, your valuing your design and and um, um, and getting the right metrics as such. It's the it's getting them to understand the empathy of actual people at the other end of a service. Right, which I always argue that probably once upon a time most companies started that way. They had a feeling for what is a human problem that we could solve, but then all of a sudden you start adding metrics. And the point that, that Kim was making is that most organizations add the metrics that are easy to measure r- <laughs> rather the, than the metrics that match the values of the organization because those are probably much, much harder to measure. And that would mean yeah. that as designers, we actually have to push more towards actually having the organization choose the metrics that match the values, that match the human-centric values uh, that are essential to producing human-centric design solutions. Yeah, so you you get into what Kim was saying here yeah. then about you um, you need to give organizations the tools to make good decisions mm-hmm. and you need to then help influence the ones making the decisions. So rather than you kind of push for, for certain metrics, mm-hmm. you should you should plant the right seeds so that the organization comes up yeah. with the metrics um, that you mm-hmm. basically think are, are doing a good job of, of, um, of uncovering the value you create with your designs. Right. Which means that we should probably be the ones who are calling to meetings where we discuss our values. Uh, at least that should be something that is part of the process uh, in design as well. That self-reflection process that she's talking about, that actually discussing and opening up about what do we expect our solution to provide and start thinking about the impact that it has on human, human lives. Uh, mm. The discussions that we have too seldom, I think. Well, and also I, I like what we touched upon with how, you know, the, our design process is there, and you know we can, we could and should research our own organisations, mm. just as a, as another aspect of the whole picture. You know, wh- what what is it that makes our organisations tick? What is it that they value? Mm. Um, just like you would do the users of the services. You know, you're these these are stakeholders in the in your big picture. Exactly. So understanding them will bring you closer to to being able to design. Um, good metrics or influence them and, and get them to choose good metrics mm. and also get them to, to be on board with what you already know is a good design. Yeah, or really essentially coach them into understanding that they themselves probably want something other than what they are doing right now. Because you are also designed yourself by the solutions that you put out there. You think this is working, so that must be good, so we're, we'll keep doing this. But maybe it's clashing, essentially, with your core values, but you haven't stopped to think about if that is even the case. So you need to start having those conversations, which will uncover that. Mm. Uh, Kim yeah. mentions as well about the like being clear about what you can influence and what you, you can't 
um, impact on mm. and and um, and putting your energy into into the things you can do something about. Yeah. And and that 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 comes from that comes from the um, the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which I think is from the the late eighties. Yeah. Um, and um, a common and coaching it's, it's, literature book. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it, and it's excellent yeah. advice. Yeah. I mean, you you know you you're going to get so burnt out and so disheartened when you're putting all your energy into something you can have zero impact on. Yeah. Um, so so it's it's very healthy to kind of sit down, reflect upon, think about what is it I can impact on, yeah. and make a difference on, influence, and and work on it. Exactly. And on that note, I think she makes an excellent point also about. There is really no right way of being a designer. She's not trying to be prescriptive about this. She's not trying to provide a recipe of how design should be within an organization. There's room for everyone. Everybody has their own strengths. So, I mean, if you feel overwhelmed by what Kim is saying as well, I don't think you, sh you necessarily have to be. Just start small. Was, I think, the advice that she gave in the interview. Start small. Start with what you think you can influence. Yeah. But also, and remember, remember too that, that you know you, you, we're all snowflakes, and our organisations are snowflakes. Mm. And and yes, we're we're constantly hearing about how we want to find best practices, and everyone wants to copy the one that seems to be doing the best. Yeah. But they're they're not you, and they're not your organisation. Mm. So so learn from it, um, understand what's going on. But you can't just repeat. Now, Kim Kim has a recipe for being a good designer, and it's basically. If you're a good communicator, good listener, and a good problem solver, the rest you can figure out as you go. Repeating what she said to us, mm. and I think that's um, excellent. I love it. Way of tying it all up. Yeah. Thanks, Kim. Thank you for spending your time with us. As always, links and notes from this episode can be found on uxpodcast.com. And if you want something to listen to next, uh, I recommend, of course, our previous chat with Kim, episode ninety-three, which was ninety-nine episodes ago. Yeah. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Wouldn't shoe. Wouldn't shoe who? Wouldn't shoe like to hear another joke? <laughs>